Section thirty six of Yiddish Tales. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Yiddish Tales translated by Helena Frank and read by Adrian Pretzelis. Section thirty six. Lost his voice, by Abraham Raisin. It was in the large synagogue in Klemenka. The weekday service had come to an end. The town cantor, who sings all the prayers even when he prays alone, and who is longer over them than other people, had already folded his talis and was humming the day's psalm to himself to a tune. He sang the last words cantoriously high, and he will be our guide until death. In the last word, death, he tried, as usual, to rise artistically to the higher octave, and then to fall very low, and to rise again almost at once into the height. But this time he failed. The note stuck in his throat, and came out false. He got a fright, and in his fright he looked around to make sure no one was standing beside him. Seeing only old Henoch, his alarm grew less. He knew that old Henoch was deaf. As he went out with his talus and tefillin under his arm, the unsuccessful death rang in his ears and troubled him. "'Plague take it!' he muttered. "'It never once happened to me before.' Soon, however, he remembered that two weeks ago, on the Sabbath before the new moon, as he stood praying with the choristers before the Arona Kodesh, nearly the same thing had happened to him when he sang he is our God, as a solo in the Kedusha. Happily, no one had remarked it. Anyway, the bass had said nothing to him, and the memory of the unsuccessful Shema Yisrael of two weeks ago, and of today's unto death, were mingled together, and lay heavily on his heart. He would have liked to try the note once more as he walked, but the street was just then full of people, and he tried to refrain till he should reach home. Contrary to his usual custom, he began taking rapid steps, and it looked as if he were running away from someone. On reaching home he put away his talus without saying so much as a good morning, recovered his breath after the quick walk, and began to sing, He shall be our guide until death. That's right, you have so little time to sing in. The day is too short for you, exclaimed the cantoress angrily. It grates on the ears enough already. How it grates! And the cantor's eyes opened wide with fright. I sing a note and you say, it grates? How can it grate? He looked at her imploringly. His eyes said, have pity on me, don't say it grates, because if it does grate, I'm miserable, I am done for." But the cantoress was much too busy and preoccupied with the dinner to sympathise, and to understand how things stood with her husband, and went on, "'Of course it grates, why shouldn't it? It deafens me. When you sing in the choir, I have to bear it. But when you begin by yourself, what?" 
The cantor had grown as white as chalk, and only just managed to say, "'Gruner, are you mad? What are you talking about?' "'What ails the man to-day?' exclaimed Gruner impatiently. "'You've made a fool of yourself long enough. Go wash your hands and come to dinner.' The cantor felt no appetite, and he reflected that one must eat, if only as a remedy. Not to eat would make matters worse, and he washed his hands. He chanted the Birkat Hamazon loud and cantor-like, glancing occasionally at his wife to see if she noticed anything wrong. But this time she said nothing at all, and he was reassured. It was my fancy, just my fancy," he said to himself. All nonsense! One doesn't lose one's voice so soon as all that. Then he remembered that he was already forty years old, and it had happened to the cantor Meyer Leder when he was just that age. That was enough to put him in a fright again. He bent his head and thought deeply. Then he raised it and called out loud, "'Gruner!' "'Hush! What is it? What makes you call out in that strange voice?' asked Gruner, crossly running in. "'Well, well, let me live,' said the cantor. "'Why do you say, in that strange voice? Whose voice was it, eh? What is the matter now?' There was a sound as of tears as he spoke. "'You're cracked to-day as nonsensical. Well, what do you want?" "'Beat up one or two eggs for me,' begged the cantor, softly. "'Here's a new holiday!' screamed Gruner. "'On a Wednesday! Have you got to chant the Sabbath prayers? Eggs are so dear now, five kopecks apiece!' "'Gruner!' commanded the cantor. They may be one rouble apiece, two roubles, five roubles, one hundred roubles. Do you hear me? Beat up two eggs for me, and don't talk." "'To be sure, you earn so much money,' muttered Gruner. "'Then you think it's all over with me,' said the cantor, boldly. "'No, Gruner.' He wanted to tell her that he wasn't sure about it yet. There was still hope. It might be all a fancy. Perhaps it was imagination. But he was afraid to say all that, and Gruner did not understand what he stammered out. She shrugged her shoulders and only said, Upon my word, and went to beat up the eggs. The cantor sat and sang to himself. He listened to every note as though he were examining someone. Finding himself unable to take the high octave, he called out despairingly, "'Gruner, make haste with the eggs!' His one hope lay in the eggs. The cantoress brought them with a cross face, and grumbled, "'He wants eggs, and we're pinching and starving!' The cantor would have liked to open his heart to her, so that she would not think the eggs were what he cared about. He would have liked to say, "Gruner." I think I'm done for." But he summoned all his courage and refrained. "'After all, it may only be an idea,' he thought. 
and without saying anything further he began to drink up the eggs as a remedy. When they were finished he tried to make a few cantor-like trills. In this he succeeded, and he grew more cheerful. It will be all right, he thought. I shall not lose my voice so soon as all that. Never mind my leader. He drank. I don't drink. Only a little wine now and then at a bris. His appetite returned, and he swallowed mouthful after mouthful. But his cheerfulness did not last. The erstwhile unsuccessful death rang in his ears, and the worry returned and took possession of him. The fear of losing his voice had tormented the cantor for the greater part of his life. His one care, his one anxiety had been, what should he do if he were to lose his voice? It had happened to him once already, when he was fourteen years old. He had a tenor voice, which broke all of a sudden. But that time he didn't care. On the contrary, he was delighted. He knew that his voice was merely changing, and that in six months he would get the baritone for which he was impatiently waiting. But when he got the baritone he knew that when he lost that it would be lost indeed. He would get no other voice. So he took great care of it. How much more so when he had his own household and had taken the office of cantor in Clemenka. Not a breath of wind was allowed to blow upon his throat, and he wore a comforter in the hottest weather. It was not so much on account of the Clemenka householders. He felt sure they would not dismiss him from his office. Even if he were to lose his voice altogether, he would still receive his salary. It was not brought to him to his house as it was. He had to go for it every Friday from door to door, and the Clemenka Jews were good-hearted and never refused anything to the outstretched hand. He took care of his voice and trembled to lose it, only out of love for the singing. He thought a great deal of the Clemenka Jews. Their like was not to be found, but in the interpretation of music they were uninitiated, they had no feeling whatsoever. And when, standing before the Arona Kodesh, he used to make artistic trills and variations, and take the highest notes, that was for himself. He had great joy in it, and also for his eight singers, who were all the world to him. His very life was bound up with them, and when one of them exclaimed, "'Oi, cantor! Oi, how you sing!' His happiness was complete. The singers had come together from various towns and villages, and all their conversations and their stories turned and wrapped themselves around cantors and music. These stories and legends were the cantor's delight. He would lose himself in every one of them, and give a sweet, deep sigh as if music were a trifle, as if a feeling were a toy. And now that he had begun to fear he was losing his voice, it seemed to him the singers were 
different people, bad people. They must be laughing at him amongst themselves. He began to be on his guard against them, avoided taking a high note in their presence, lest they should find out, and suffered all the more. And what would the neighbouring cantors say? The thought tormented him further. He knew that he had a reputation among them, that he was a great deal thought of, that his voice was much talked of. He saw in his mind's eye a couple of cantors whispering together, and shaking their heads sorrowfully. They are pitying him. How sad! Have you heard the poor Klemenka cantor? The vision quite upset him. Perhaps it's only fancy, he would say to himself in those dreadful moments, and would begin to sing, to try his highest notes. But the terror he was in took away his hearing, and he could not tell if his voice were what it should be or not. In two weeks' time his face grew pale and thin, his eyes were sunk, and he felt his strength going. "'What is the matter with you, Cantor?' said a singer to him one day. "'Ah, what is the matter?' asked the Cantor with a start, thinking they had already found out. "'You ask what is the matter with me? Then you know something about it, ha?' "'No, I know nothing. That is why I ask you why you look so upset.' "'Upset, you say? Nothing more than upset, ha?' The cantor must be thinking out some new piece for the solemn days," decided the choir. Another month went by, and the cantor had not got the better of his fear. Life had become distasteful to him. If he had known for certain that his voice was gone, he would perhaps have been calmer. Verfallen! No one can live forever. Losing his voice and dying was one and the same to him. But the uncertainty, the tossing oneself between yes and no, the oilam hatohu of it all, embittered the cantor's existence. At last, one fine day, the cantor resolved to get at the truth. He could bear it no longer. It was evening. The wife had gone to the market for meat and the choir had gone home. Only the eldest singer, Yossel the bass, remained with the cantor. The cantor looked at him, opened his mouth, and shut it again. It was difficult for him to say what he wanted to say. At last he broke out with, Yossel, what is it, cantor? Tell me, are you an honest man? Yossel the bass stared at the cantor and asked, "'What are you asking me to-day, cantor?' "'Brother Yossel,' the cantor said, all but weeping, "'Brother Yossel!' That was all he could say. "'Cantor, what is wrong with you?' "'Brother Yossel, be an honest man, and tell me the truth, the truth!' I don't understand. What is the matter with you, Cantor? Tell me the truth. Do you notice any change in me?" "'Yes, I do,' answered the singer, looking at the Cantor, 
and seeing how pale and thin he was, a very great change. Now I see you are an honest man. You tell me the truth to my face. Do you know when it began? It will soon be a month, answered the singer. Yes, brother, a month, a month, but I felt— The cantor wiped off the perspiration that covered his forehead and continued, And you think, Yossel, that it's lost now, for good and all? That what is lost? asked Yossel, beginning to be aware that the conversation had turned on something quite different from what was in his own mind. What? How can you ask her? What should I lose? Money? I have no money. I mean, of course, my voice. Then Yossel understood everything. He was too much of a musician not to understand. Looking compassionately at the cantor, he asked, For certain? For certain? exclaimed the cantor, trying to be cheerful. Why must it be for certain? Very likely it's all a mistake. Let us hope it is. Yossel looked at the cantor, and as a doctor behaves to his patient, so did he. Take do, he said, and the cantor, like an obedient pupil, drew out do. Draw it out, draw it out, four quavers, draw it out, commanded Yossel, listening attentively. The cantor drew it out. Now, if you please, ray. The cantor sung out, ray, ray, ray. The singer moved aside, appeared to be lost in thought, and then said sadly, Gone. For ever? Well, are you a little boy? Are you likely to get another voice? At your time of life, gone is gone. The cantor wrung his hands, threw himself down beside the table, and laying his head on his arms, he burst out crying like a child. Next morning the whole town had heard of the misfortune that the cantor had lost his voice. "'It's an ill wind,' quoted the innkeeper, a well-to-do man. "'He won't keep us so long with his trills on Sabbath. I take a bitter onion for that voice of his any day.'" End of Lost His Voice by Abraham Raisin